you got your Bibles, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. And before we get into God's Word, I want us to pray this prayer, Psalms 118 and 119 and 18, he'll put up on the screen. Let's pray this. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Amen. Holy Spirit of God, I pray open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes to your word, Lord. It is your word that sanctifies us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray as we get into your word this morning, Lord, don't let me say too little. Don't let me say too much. Let me say exactly what you want me to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, I'm enjoying this. I don't know about next week if I'll enjoy it, but I'm enjoying this right now. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning, and the theme is still the same. 8, 9, and 10 is going to still be about Christian liberty and Christian freedom. Now, next week, we'll get the long hair and hats. Yep. And so, uh, you want to be here for that, and we'll, it, it, it'll apply to us today, and so... Maybe some of you pique your curiosity and you'll say, I'm going I'm to see what he's going to say about that. But I, I'm, I'm well aware of that. I've seen that coming down the, that train coming down the bend a long time. And we're going to get into it next Sunday morning, uh, good Lord willing. But before we get into chapter 10 this morning, I want us to look again at the very last part of chapter 9. Because he's still dealing with the same subject. And, of course, most of you know that the chapters were not put there by Paul. He didn't say, okay, this is chapter 10. They were put there by Bible translators to help us understand God's Word uh, uh, better and, and be able to find verses better. And so, really, this is still one continuous thought that the Apostle Paul is bringing to the church at Corinth. And remember, last week, he says in verse 24, chapter 9, he says, "...run in such a way that you'll win." Run in such a way that you will win. And then he says in verse 27 of chapter 9, But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, we can debate on what cast away, what disqualified means, but we can all agree on this. Whatever it is, it is not good. It's not good. And so no one wants to be disqualified in the Christian race, in the Christian life. And if I was going to outline chapter 10, I would give it three points, and we're going to go over this this morning. And the first thing is I would, I would, I would outline like this. Paul is going to give the illustration. This is verses 1 through 13. Then he's going to give the exhortation, verses 14 through 22. And then he's going to give the application in verse 23 through 31. Now remember, he's talking about Christian liberty, Christian freedom, not black and white things. These are gray areas that are not expressly forbidden in the scriptures. And so we've got to determine, can we do certain things? Are we allowed to do certain things? And so Paul is still hitting on this area of Christian liberty, okay, Christian freedom. And so let's look at the illustration, and I believe Paul has given us an illustration here of what disqualification looks like, okay? And so verse 1, let's start there, the illustration. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers, and notice I'm going to underline this word that is repeated a lot of times in these first few verses, 
that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Verse 2, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 3, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ Jesus. And so now Paul wants to use an illustration they will all understand. And what he's basically pointing out is this. Just because you have privileges doesn't mean you're going to progress. Just because you've been blessed and have these blessings doesn't mean you're going to fulfill the calling that's placed on your life. Just because you have all these advantages doesn't mean that you're going to have achievements in your life. See, look what he says about them. They were all under the cloud. What does that represent? The cloud represented the presence of God, the glory of God. The children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt in the wilderness, they all experienced the presence of God. He says not only that, they all passed through the Red Sea. In other words, they all experienced probably one of the greatest natural miracles that has ever been known, the parting of the Red Sea so that they could go through on dry land. They all experienced that. He says they were all identified with Moses, and that just simply baptized in Moses, and that just simply means this, they identified with Moses, they were identified with Moses, they all ate the same spiritual food. Now, what he's talking about there is the source of the food. The source of the food they ate was from God himself, and they never missed a meal for 40 years. He says that not only that, they all drank the same spiritual drink again. He's talking about the source there. Every single one of them drank from the rock of Christ Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, when God gives water of a rock, I guarantee you this, it's a lot better than Dasani. They all drank from the spiritual rock. So we would say they all experienced... God's presence, they all experienced God's provision, they all experienced God's blessings, they had all these advantages, they had all these blessings, they had all these privileges, surely they pleased God and entered the promised land that he gave them. Surely they did that because they had all these things going for them. But he says, nevertheless... Despite, verse 5, all of these privileges, despite all these blessings, despite all these advantages, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low, they died in the wilderness. Even though they had all these blessings, all these privileges, all these advantages, there were only two people over the, age of, uh, uh, over the age of 20 when they came out of Egypt that entered into the promised land. Now some people think the promised land is 
symbolic of heaven. I don't believe that's necessarily true because if it is, Moses didn't get to heaven. And I don't believe for one moment Moses is not in heaven because the Bible Hebrews tells us that Moses was a man of great faith. I believe that what this speaks of is fulfilling their calling, fulfilling their God-given privileges that he's placed on their lives, and they all fell short with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. And so even though all had the privileges, even though all had the blessings, not all gained the blessings of those privileges. And then he says in verse 6, he says, Now these things happen as examples for us. In other words, these people, they serve as an example, not a good example. They serve as an example of what not to do. What calls them? To fall short of the promised land. What caused them not to finish well? He tells us in verse 6. He says, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. What are the evil things they craved? I believe if you look at the story... What they said they craved was onions, garlic, leeks, cucumbers. Now, unless it's a pickle, cucumbers are evil things. <laughs> but those things in, in itself is not evil. The problem was they were wanting things from in Egypt, not the things that God had blessed them with. And the problem is in our Christian life is when we start craving the things of the world that God has brought us out for our good, okay? Because God wants us to live the blessed life, not necessarily a life of pleasure, a life of what our flesh wants or even easy. And so he says they crave evil things, he says also this, verse 7, he says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, and stood up to play. He's referencing there the incident in Exodus 32. When Moses had went up to the mountain to receive the instructions from God, to receive the Ten Commandments, and Moses was only gone for 40 days, the people said to themselves, we don't know what's happened to this guy, Moses. Aaron, why don't you make us a calf, an idol, so that we can worship. If you ever read the story, it's a very interesting story because Aaron tells everybody, he says, I want you to gather all your nose rings, your golden earrings, and we're going to melt them down. And I like when Moses, it's, it's really kind of amusing because when Moses comes down, and says, what's going on? Aaron says this, hey, I just threw that in the fire and this is what came out. I mean, we just threw it in the fire and all of a sudden this golden calf walks out. That just shows you how one lie leads to another lie, right? It's better go and admit it, you were guilty, instead of trying to excuse it. And what we, we got to realize this is, listen, 
These people heard the voice of God. These people actually saw the cloud. They actually saw miracles that probably you and I have never seen before. And their hearts were turned to idolatry just like that. Just like that. And remember now, what Paul is writing, who's writing to there is these strong Christians that think they are a lot stronger than what they really are. They have become overconfident saying, I could never do those things. So he says they committed idolatry. Verse 8, he says, neither, neither let us act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. We know that what happened there in Numbers 25 is the men began to look after the foreign women which God had prohibited them from doing and all of a sudden they began to intermingle with them and then they began to uh, have affairs with them and those women led them into idolatry. So he says, don't be like them. Don't commit sexual immorality. Then he says, verse 9, he says, neither let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpent. So they tested the Lord. What does it mean to test the Lord? It means this. It means to try God's patience, to see what you can get away with before God acts, to put yourself in a bad situation, expect God is going to always bail you out. That's what you call testing God. He says they also grumbled. Verse 10 says, neither grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. That's Numbers 14 and 16. And so think about this. They had all the blessings. They had God's presence. They had God's provision. They had God's protection. And yet they neglected it. And yet they wasted it. The Corinthians are probably saying, what has this got to do with us? Some of you this morning may be saying, what has this got to do with me? Well, you think about it. The Corinthians were craving evil things. The Corinthians, chapter 5, chapter 6, were involved in sexual immorality. The Corinthians were going to the pagan temples and participating into the idolatrous feasts. They were worshiping idols. They were murmuring against God. They were complaining. They were testing God. They were seeing how close they could get to the edge without falling over the edge. And you know what, if you really think about it, in 2021, we're just like them in our blessings, if not more. We have the presence of God with us. Jesus said, I'll send the comfort, not only be with you, he'll be in you. He'll buy with you forever. We've got God with us. We've got Emmanuel, God with us. We don't have to go to some temple in Jerusalem to find God's presence. His presence is here this morning. We've got God's presence. We've been saved. That's, what, that's, that's a type and shadow of going through the Red Sea is a type and shadow of salvation. We've been delivered out of Egypt. If you're saved today, you've been brought out of Egypt. We've been not baptized into Moses. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, I believe it is. He said, we've been baptized into Christ Jesus. While they were given... Manna from heaven, we have been given the bread of life. While they were given water to drink from a rock, we've been giving living water, and he who comes to Jesus will never hunger, he'll never thirst again. So you realize that we've been given tremendous blessings, we've been given tremendous advantages, we've been given tremendous privileges. 
but even so much more. I guarantee most of us have probably at least five copies of this in our house. Can you imagine being in the wilderness and you don't have this? Or even if you're in the early church, maybe one person has a copy of the Old Testament and you got to go to the temple to hear them read it. And yet we've got the very word of God to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. And many people never take advantage of it. We've got a we don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem. We got a local assembly that we can gather together. It's not a tent set up in the desert. We don't have to journey miles on foot to go and present our sacrifice to God. We can gather when it's 20 degrees outside because it's heated on the inside. We can gather together when it's 100 degrees on the outside because we can cool it down to 72 degrees on the inside. We don't have to come and stand and worry about somebody locking the doors and blowing this place up because we've gathered together as God's people. We've got all these privileges to help us fulfill our calling, but a Many people don't take advantage of those privileges. They take them for granted and we wonder why we fall short. We can go directly to the throne room of God. He tells us in his word now as New Testament believers. We can come bold to his throne. We don't have to go to the high priest for him to present our offering. We, every single one of us as a child of God, can go directly to the throne room of God. But yet, many people are neglecting those privileges the same way those Old Testament people of God did. So he tells them in verse 12, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, you better be careful, that he does not fall. Again, Paul is addressing those Christians who claim, I'll never fall for that. I'll never get involved with that. I'm going to stay strong. And because of this, they are seeing just how close to the edge of sin they can get without going over. They're seeing how close to the fire can I get without getting burned. I'm going to tell you that, listen, you're not as strong as you think you are. You're not as smart as you think you are. I'm not either. You're not as spiritual as you think you are. There's not a single person in here that is beyond falling into some kind of temptation and this is the point he's trying to drive home. Oh, you think you've got the liberty and freedom to do a lot of things, but let me tell you something. You're not as strong as you think you are. 
I've used this illustration before, and I'll use it here again. But we put a good bit of money in that ramp there, inside. It's not the folks that use the ramp I'm worried about. It's those that think, well, you little whippersnapper ain't telling me I got to use that ramp. I'm well enough to use the stairs. And you done fail three times down it. <laughs> right? It's not those that are using the ramp because they know they're liable to fall that I'm worried about. It's those that think I'm not going to fall. That's the ones you got to worry about. And it's not the Christians that think, I got to be careful today. I, I could give in to some temp. Those are not the ones I'm worried about. It's the ones that say, I can live as close to the edge as possible and I'm not going to give in. And so he says, you better keep your guard up at all times. Let's continue on. Verse 13. He says, no temptation has ta overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who, not, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. What is he saying there? He's saying, listen, God is greater than any temptation you face. Understand that. God is greater than addiction. God is faithful to do his part. He will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able. But I got to be honest with you. When I fall into sin, it had nothing to do with God wasn't faithful. It probably had more to do with I was overconfident and put myself in a position I shouldn't be in. And so God will do his part. You've got to do your part. And so now that's the illustration. He says, listen, let's draw up on history and look at what they did, all the blessings, all the privileges they had, and yet they still fell short of the promised land. And so now he gives them what I would call the exhortation, verse 14. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. And so listen, he's already warned them in chapter 6 to flee from sexual immorality. Now he says, you've got to run from idolatry. In other words, God will do his part, but you need to do your part because they weren't fleeing from temptation. They were flirting with temptation. They weren't, they, they, they weren't turning from sin. They were toying with sin. And so he says, listen, don't even hang around it. He said, you need to run from it. You need to run from sin. You don't need to see how close you can get to it without getting burnt. You need to run from sin. Why should we run from sin? Why should we run from idolatry? Well, he's going to tell us this. Look at verse 15 through 18. He says, I speak as to wise men. In other words, you're smart enough to figure this out. Judge what I'm about to tell you. He says, it's not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ is not the bread which we break, sharing in the body of Christ. He's referencing communion there, okay? He says, since there is one bread, we are, who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. And then he says this, 
Look at the nation Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, sharers in the altar. In other words, what he's saying there is when you come to God's house and you partake in communion, he says you are doing something more than just a physical act there. Because I don't know about you, but when you come to God's house and we protect communion, you don't get a lot to drink. You don't get a lot to eat and go, hey, that little wafer, man, I'm full. It's not a physical thing, necessarily. It's a spiritual implication that we are in fellowship, we are in communion, we are in likeness with Christ. And so what he's saying there is when you come together as God's people and you're in communion with Christ... He says, continue on, verse 19 through 20. He says, what do I mean? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that any, an idol is anything? Verse 20. He says, no. In other words, listen. There is absolutely no thing to an idol. But there are demonic influences behind those idols. Think about it. In other words... That will lead you into sin. Even though an idol is nothing, what the Corinthians were doing, remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, some of them were going to this temple because they were invited by a family to maybe a birthday party, something like that, and they were eating meat. But some couldn't stop there. They went from doing that to that family said, listen, if you can come here, to this birthday party, why can't you come to our religious festival tomorrow? And all of a sudden now, they found themselves in this pagan temple participating in idolatrous worship. And so Paul is saying, listen, you can't have it both ways. You can't be in communion with Christ. You can't walk with Christ and run with the devil. He says, I don't want you to become a sharer in demons. I don't want you participating in that stuff. Let's continue on. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. You can't live in the world Monday through Saturday and live with Christ on Sunday. You can't have it both ways. You can't fellowship with the world. Now listen, he's not talking about isolation. He's talking about separation. Okay? We can't isolate ourselves from the world, but we should separate ourselves from the world. And this is what he's getting at. He said, listen, you cannot have it both ways. You can't participate in those festivals, those feasts, and also participate in communion with the Lord. And so we see the illustration. We see here the exhortation. Now let's go to the application. Because remember, all this, is, all this is surrounding or all this involves Christian liberty. What can and can we not do? Verse 23, the application. All things are lawful. That was their saying. But Paul says this, but not all things are profitable. You say all things are lawful, but not everything edifies. So here's the application, point number one. 
Everything is not good for your Christian walk or your Christian life. Everything's not good for you. Everything doesn't build you up spiritually. And you got to know the difference in, does this, what I'm participating in, does it benefit me spiritually? Does it build me up spiritually or tear me down? Get down to the nuts and bolts. Illustrations. There's some music you shouldn't be listening to. Okay? I know I'm, t- I'm talking to mostly older folks here, and I know y'all not listening to some of the stuff that, I hope you're not at least anyway. But I'm just saying, listen, some of us need to have some discernment and realize what I'm listening to does not benefit my relationship with the Lord. You may say, I'm allowed to watch that. But my question to you is, what good does it do? Spiritually. You may say, I'm allowed to go to those places, but I ask you this Does it draw you closer to temptation and sin? Or does it draw you closer to Christ? And so, this is what Paul is saying. Listen, here's the principle as a Christian, you've got to realize not everything's good for you. You may be allowed to participate. You may think, well, I, I got no problem with that. But you got to ask yourself this question. Is what I'm doing, is it building me up spiritually or is it tearing me down spiritually? Is it drawing me closer to Christ or is it pulling me away from Christ? Now, I don't want to get on anybody's pet hobby, so we'll try to go with this one. You may think antiquing is fine, and there ain't nothing wrong in the Bible with going and antiquing. But when it pulls you away from the church every week, when it pulls you away from your family, that's a problem. You understand that? That's when it becomes a sin. When you can't even read your Bible because you're too busy searching for antiques. Now, if you're an antiquer, I promise you, I didn't, I didn't mean to hit on you. I talked about camping last week, and we had some people camping, okay? And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do now? If I had a camper, I'd go, too. Just wouldn't go on Sundays because I'd be fired, okay? But I'm just saying, some things that we're allowed to do, but if they pull you away from Christ Jesus, what's it going to profit you if you gain all those things but you lose your soul? If your children don't know the Lord. Let's continue on. Principle again, verse 24. He says, let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. In other words, here's the principle in liberty. You should live for the benefit of others, not for your own selfish pleasure. Is what I'm doing, does it benefit others, or will it cause someone else to stumble in their Christian walk? Next principle. So he says, live for the benefit of others, not yourselves. 
verse 25 and 26. He says, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without question, asking questions for conscience sake. In other words, he says, listen, don't be going to those religious services, those, those, those pagan religious services. Don't do that. But now listen, if you go to a neighbor's house, and we talk about this, how that meat was sold at a discount if it was offered to those uh, pagan deities that are nothing. And let me tell you this, the way price of meat's going nowadays, if you know where some meat is that offered to idols that's for cheaper, let me know because I'm going to go get some, okay? <laughs> I'm tired of paying $20 for a sirloin, a pound, right? It's ridiculous. Every time I go in the house now, I say, Larry, you got some meat offered to idols? And he says, no, I don't. I say, well, I guess I'll just get the expensive one then here. But he says, that, here's the principle, okay? He says, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking question for conscience sake. He says, why is that? He draws a principle. He says, because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's, he's quote from Psalms 24 there. The earth is the Lord, everything in it belongs to God. God created everything. And then he says, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go eat anything that is set before without asking questions for conscience sake, what's the principle there in those three verses? I think the principle is this. Some of us need to understand this. Don't be so high-strung on things. You know, there's people, they try to find a demon behind every bush. Right? They try to find a devil in every activity. You go play golf. What well, a devil's in golf. You go hunting. Well, that's the devil's, you know. They try to find every reason why it's wrong. Oh, did you have a good time? It's got to be wrong. And so what he's saying there is, listen, yes, there's some things you're allowed to do, okay? And he's telling those people, if listen, if you go to a neighbor's house and they give you meat, he says, don't ask questions. Don't start saying, hmm, I wonder if this has been offered to an idol. Let me ask, let me kind of dig into this. He says, don't ask questions. Don't worry about it. I wonder if this was cooked in wine. It was burnt up, it was. Okay? I'm just saying you can get so scrupulous, it will drive you crazy and drive everybody around you crazy. It just simply will. And so what he tells them is, listen, don't live in legalism. Don't be over-scrupulous. Don't major on the minors. Don't be so high-strung. Don't try to find and dig around and see if you can find something wrong with this. But he says, but if you're there... And there you got a weaker brother that says, hey, 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 this right here has been offered to idols. Paul says, don't eat. Just ask for potatoes. Just say, I'm just not going to eat today because why? It is better to offend the world than to offend your brother or sister in Christ Jesus. You understand that? I'd rather offend the guy operating the restaurant than my brother or sister whom I have fellowship with every single Sunday in the Lord. Continue on. Hurry. Verse 28. Look what he says here. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idol, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informs you and for conscience sake. He says, I mean, not your own conscience because your conscience is good with it. You're fine. Well, you know there's nothing wrong with that. He says, but the other man's, for why is my freedom judged by the other man's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I considered, why am I slandered concerning for that which I give thanks? In other words, if I give thanks for this meat, why is somebody going to slander me when I'm thanking God for, I'm, I'm glorifying God for being able to do this. But you also got to realize this, do not allow 
what you can consider to be good to be evil spoken of. Okay? Don't let it. And then this is the key point here, verse 31 through 33. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. You understand that? You understand that? Everything you do should be to glorify God. If you hunt and God gives you an eight point, you glorify God because of his goodness. If you golf and you get a birdie, you glorify God because God allowed you the ability to do those things. If you eat meat offered to idols, no, we don't do this today, but if you do, you do it for the glory. What he's saying there is this, whatever I do, I've got to do it for God's glory in my life. Whatever I partake in, I've got to ask myself this question. How does this affect other people? Does this bring them closer to Christ or does it take them further away from Christ? Or also I've got to ask this right here. How is my activities, how are my activities, how are they affecting the reputation of God? How does it affect God's reputation. In church, if you can't eat for the glory of God, if you can't drink for the glory of God, you do everything for the glory of God. And if it's not for the glory of God, you don't do it. Because we've been called, we've been bought with a price. And therefore, we should glorify God with our bodies which belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. should come and play in. Let me ask this question, just in closing. I know these kind of, this is, you probably never heard messages like this, and that's fine. Wait till next week. But I want to ask us a question we can ask ourselves this morning. Are you flirting with sin? Are you fleeing from it? Are you participating in things that you shouldn't participate in? Lord, I want my life to be a witness for you, to be an example for you, so when the world sees me, they see Jesus Christ in me. Church, I'm here to tell you, listen, you're not as strong as you think you are. You better run from it. Don't toy with it. Don't flirt with it. You run to Jesus Christ. It's like this. Listen, if you're going to hire somebody to haul logs up a mountain road and you interviewed three people and one person came in and said, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the best driver in the world, I can get to the edge of the mountain within an inch without going over. And then somebody else said, well, you know what? I'm better than that. I can get the trailer to kind of get off the mountain a little bit and still get up the hill. 
Or you had another man said, you know what, I don't even know if I'm a good driver or not, but I try to get as close to the side of the mountain as I can when I go up that hill. If you, if you liked your product, you'd say, I'm hiring this man because he doesn't fool with the edge. He sees how close he can stay to safety. And I'm here to tell you, listen, there's some things that are built into our lives. Things like Bible reading, things like prayer, things like gathering together with God's people in fellowship. These are what I would call guide rails that help us stay on the right path. Amen? And we can have all these benefits. And if we're not careful, we'll wind up just like those people in Israel who died in the wilderness. Let's stand.